All right. Good. So today we're going to be talking about rewards, right? Pastor Jeremy already started uh, that a little bit earlier in the service, right? All right. So we're going to be talking about rewards. So let's think about what a reward is. I looked up the, the definition of reward. That's good to do sometimes to figure out what words mean. And it said this. It said a reward is something given in recognition of one's service, effort, or achievement. All right. So if you were to do something or accomplish something, there could be a reward for you. All right. So I need a volunteer. Let's see who. Uh, okay, Liam, come on up. Stand right here. All right. Good. So, Liam, I'm going to ask you if you could count to 10 for us, out loud for everyone to hear. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, good job. He did it. Did, did he get it right? He, he got it right, right? Yeah, he did it well. So, because you completed the task, I'm going to give you a reward. Does that sound good? All right, there's your reward. All right, thanks. Good, you can go back and sit down there. All right, so he got a reward because he completed the task. All right, that's where the reward is. So the Bible tells us that there is a reward for those who follow Jesus faithfully. Isn't that neat? Okay, listen to these verses. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, The one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, and your reward will be great. 1 Corinthians 3, 14, if the works that anyone has built survives, he will receive a reward. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work hard for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And 2 John 1.8, watch yourselves that you may win a full reward. And so isn't that great for those of us who follow Jesus faithfully? There's going to be a great reward, great blessing. Now that is true for all of us who follow Christ. The Bible tells us that that is true for a great reward for all who follow Christ. And it also tells us of a special reward for elders who serve God's people well. We've been talking about elders the last few weeks, right? So today we're going to see that there's a special reward for elders who serve well. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes back, you elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. Doesn't that sound like a great word? A crown. It's a crown, but it's not just a, eh, any old crown. This is a crown of glory. It will be wonderful. It will be spectacular. All right? So there's a special crown of glory given to elders. All right? Special reward. So we look forward to the day when Jesus returns, right? When he comes back for us. But until then, we keep striving to live our lives to follow Jesus faithfully each and every day. And you can do that too. Keep following Jesus faithfully until he returns. So thanks for coming up, everyone. You can go back and have a seat. All right. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. So this is the last of four sermons on shepherds, elders, leadership in the church. 
we saw in Exodus uh, the beginnings of eldership and the need for plurality. God doesn't trust one man to have that kind of authority because of sin, and there's a need for plurality, a need for, and then the qualifications being godliness, not necessarily ability. Then the work in the second sermon is that of shepherding. And shepherding individual sheep, one of the things that can happen is you could have elders who love the church but don't love any individuals in it, right? They're always professing how much they love the church, but they don't ever seem to get around to actually loving any of the individuals in it. But shepherding is very careful, attentive care for the individual sheep and their specific needs. And then last week, some of the temptations. Now, funny enough, I got a lot of pats on the back after last week's sermon and talking about the sins of the elders. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, But that's it. Today I want to talk about the elder's reward, and I want to do it because uh, we see it in 1 Peter 5.4, but it's a topic we don't talk enough about probably, and, and is not in a few places in Scripture. It's in several places of God's lavish rewards for His people, for what we see uh, as very small deeds that we do, and, and then the reward that God gives us is way beyond what we would ever expect. Um, kind of like you've been seeing, uh, especially during COVID, some people leaving crazy lavish tips for their waitresses. Like the waitress did a good job, and she gets a $1,000 tip or something. That's the kind of reward that God gives us. We do a little waitressing, and it, and, and it's huge reward. And so I hope that you, even if you're not an elder or a deacon, realizes the, uh, the lavishness of God in rewarding us, that he is generous uh, towards us. Let me read First uh, Peter uh, 5. I'm just going to read 1 to 5, uh, but we'll focus on verse 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. God, hold us up that we may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. Help us to tremble with fear of you, to fear your judgments while we love your testimonies. And so, God, please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the reason verse 4 is given is because of the discouragement that can come to shepherds because of the work described in the first three verses. He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. So elders are very, should be very aware that you all belong to him, 
purchased by the blood of Christ, and yet we, as sinful shepherds, are given this great duty to care for you. It's overwhelming. It can be discouraging. The work isn't done. We don't know what we're doing half the time. We don't have the wisdom to figure out what we should do. Some of the problems you come to us are beyond us. We have sorrow with your sorrows, and we're supposed to shepherd you. It's hard work. It's very difficult work. And then you have the temptations that come along with it. And so it can be discouraging. It's like parenting. It's, uh, it's hard. And if you're not aware, sometimes the sheep are mean. Sometimes they're rams and they try to run over the elders and say awful things about them. The, con- the entire context of 1 Peter is suffering. What the letter is written for. It's written to Christians who are suffering that they might endure well in faith looking to the reward, especially the reward of glory to come. And now here, specifically to elders, there's suffering for the elders, there's difficulty for the elders, there's temptations for the elders, there's elders who are maligned and undercut. And verse 4 then, after the charge, after talking about the temptation is, your reward is coming. Endure faithfully in it. And that is true for all of us. That is true for all of us. The work that God has given you, whatever that is, big or little, it's often just a bunch of little acts of faithfulness throughout your day, whatever that is, there's reward coming. And we're to look to it. So one of the commentators said, lest then the faithful servant of Christ should be broken down. There is for him one and only one remedy to turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. And so elders and pastors, there is only one reward for you. It's the coming of Christ. Another says, away with earthly treasure. You are my pleasure. Jesus, my choice. Away with empty glory. Don't tell me to tell my story. Told of the tempting voice, pain or loss or shame or cross shall not from my Savior move me since he deigns to love me. That's our reward. It's Christ. The context here is glory. Verse 4, an unfading clown of glory. Peter has the nickname as the Apostle of Hope. For this letter is filled with hope. It's written, as I said, in the context of suffering, but it's about bearing up, even rejoicing in suffering, to have hope in the midst of suffering, especially at the future of Christ's coming. And that hope is the hope of glory, the hope of seeing Christ's glory, the, the hope of seeing Christ and seeing how glorious He is, the hope of the reward of that glory in verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1 of verse 7. Faith being tested by suffering so that it may be found worthy resulting in glory at Christ's coming. 4.13, we rejoice now as we share in Christ's suffering so that we may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We partake in chapter 5, verse 1. We partake in Christ's glory when He comes and it's revealed. So again, this is true for you brothers and sisters. 
that there will be a day when Christ returns and the reward of that day, the pleasure of that day will make all of your sufferings seem as pimples, nothing. It'll be glorious and the same is true of elders and here the reward offered to elders seems Incomparably great and an unfading crown of glory. And so we are encouraged to keep going in the hard work, the thankless work, because of this reward. Isn't that good? Again, applied a general principle of reward for believers for their work applied specifically to elders. So let me talk to you fathers. One of the temptations, the failures of fathers is to be harsh and demanding and never satisfied. We can push and push and push. I ref a basketball game last night. The coach's son was on the team and he was harsh in a way that he was not to any other player on the court towards his son. Just on him. Uh, and it is right. One of the problems of our day is not expecting enough. But fathers should also reward. Express pleasure in their children and even the most meager things they do. Rewarding them, praising them, giving them good things for the work they do. Because that's how God in heaven does it for us. Alright, so that's the major overarching idea here. Reward from God for our work. God is the kind of God who keeps record of all of the work that you do of faith and rewards it far beyond what you deserve for it. It's wonderful. This is applied specifically to elders. So let's look at verse 4 more closely now. So you have this reality that in these verses, this work given to elders is temporal. It's short-term. But the work itself is eternally significant. So, elders, pastors, the work that we do with these people, though it's done now, and it's temporal, lasts forever. The work that we do with these people here is immortal. Every human being here created in the image of God will exist forever if they know Christ by faith with God. And our work is to work with them so that the day that they meet Jesus would go very well for them. Our work is eternally significant. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherding has a goal. What's the goal? What's the end? The eternal pasture. We sang it in Psalm 23, didn't we? Our work is for that day. In Ezekiel 34, shepherds are given the work of keeping the sheep's sheep safe by warning them. Warning them because Christ is coming. Warning them because Christ will judge them. And shepherds are supposed to faithfully warn the flock of danger. Danger in their own lives. Dangers around them. 
Look out. Don't do that. Watch there. And if shepherds are faithful to warn their flock, knowing the particular dangers of each sheep and warning them where that danger is, and if they go on into the danger, Christ will not require the blood at the shepherd's hand because he did the faithful work. But if he won't, then blood is on their hands too. Our work has eternal consequences. And every elder, every pastor, every parent knows this. And so one of the effects I hope this verse has on all of us and us as general, as elders and and pastors. Now when I say elders and pastors, there is an office of elders and pastors, Pastor Jeff and I and Dennis and Sean and Terry. And yet many of you serve in the church informally as church fathers and mothers. You have a responsibility over people. You're essential to the church. Younger people or maybe older and less mature in the Lord kind of people come to you and they look to you. You have a responsibility to this. But one of the effects of this verse on on us as elders and pastors, those of you, church mothers and fathers, and us in general is what uh, 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 one man said, to burn eternity into our eyeballs. This verse speaks of Christ's coming. And, and we are to live today for that day, aren't we? Martin Luther said he only had two days on his calendar, today and the day of Christ's coming. And that he prayed God would help him to live this day in light of that day. Do you? Isn't one of the greatest failures in the contemporary church is we have no regard for Christ's coming anymore. We don't think about it. We don't consider it. Heaven and hell have no bearing for us. All we know is now. All we know is what I get now, what I do now. We're consumed with now. We have no thought of heaven. We have no thought of hell. It doesn't impact us at all. Eternity is not anything for us. Yet the Bible consistently again and again and again says this life is short. That is forever. And we live for the short. And so is eternity burned into your eyeballs? Our lives are grass that withers. We're but a moment. What a great time in this day with COVID and all of the political junk to put your hope in Christ and his coming. Thank God for COVID. I mean, this world sucks. Doesn't it? It's awful. What life is there here? It's misery. death it's dark it's but heaven will not be why will we not think of it why will we not live for it why do we whine and complain about everything going on without any regard to the joy that's to come and yet we have it why do we have it because god sent his only son who died on a cross so that you can be with him forever that psalm 23 is a guarantee And you're still complaining about the Packers losing in the last flag. And it is pathetic. Isn't it? 
why are you laughing? Isn't it convicting? Why do you think I'm preaching this? And when Christ comes, verse 4 implies that he'll judge. When Christ comes, he will come to judge. John 5.22, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Acts 17.32, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world through Christ. 2 Timothy 4.2, Jesus Christ is the judge, the living, and the dead. That will be an awful day for some of you. Because you are a goat. You have no faith in Christ. You rebel against your mother and father. You live in unrepentant sin. And hell is your destination unless you repent and turn to Christ. And Jesus will be the one judging you. He sees all and he knows all, even the intents of your heart. And what are you going to do? You're going to blame somebody else? There's no one to blame but yourself. Here you sit Sunday after Sunday hearing this gospel preached, and yet you refuse to consider the eternal weight of your sin against your holy creator and think that it'll just work out someday. And you are the most pitiable, foolish person here. And and all you have to do is turn to Christ. There's no work. There's nothing but saying, I'm done. Christ is it. There's nothing. It's the simplest thing in the world, and yet you go on in your pride. And then for others of you, hopefully most of you, it will be the greatest day of your life. Jesus Christ will welcome you into his Father's eternal glory. And you'll realize what you find really hard to believe, that everything that Christ has and earned in his life, death, and resurrection is yours. Everything. You are a co-heir with Christ. he'll wipe away every tear from your eye and he will clothe you in eternally white righteousness and you will know no more sorrow, no more sin, no more suffering, no more loss, no more grief, only the eternal welcome of the Father forever. Glory, beauty, joy, pleasure, rest, finally and fully yours. That which you taste a little now will be yours forever then. But in regards to Christ's coming in judgment, it's not only the ultimate judgment towards heaven or hell, it's a judgment of our works. Christ will judge our works. And that judgment of our works is sometimes spoken specifically in regards to elders and pastors. Look, if you would, the book of Hebrews is, is just to the left of First uh, Peter. First Peter, and then to the left is James, and then Hebrews 13. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. 
the first half of this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Obey your leaders and submit to them. <laughs> Why? They're keeping a watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Elders and pastors will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ for their work of shepherding you, keeping watch over your souls. Again, elders aren't to just love the church generally, but you individually, keeping a close watch. Turn further back, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to uh, 15, it talks specifically about this judgment of Christ, this giving account to Christ for our shepherding work. 1 Corinthians three twelve. Well, let's start at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So God has set his foundation. The foundation is Christ through the apostolic teaching and preaching in the New Testament, or in all of Scripture. The apostles were given the charge to lay this foundation, and they laid it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, so the work of elders and pastors is to build... uh, uh, Keith read that we are being built up as a spiritual house on the foundation of Christ. That's the work of elders and pastors, to build up. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. That day there is Christ coming, him judging the work of elders and pastors, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each will have done. So here's an analogy. You're building with the good biblical materials. That's like building with precious gold and silver and stones. It's enduring. That is faith in God to use the materials that God has provided. But others, being wise in themselves, think that they have better materials. Hay and straw and wood. But Christ will test it as with fire. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is the judgment of Christ evaluating the work, judging the work of elders and pastors for the kind of materials they use. Now, this teaches us a few things. It teaches us that we should not evaluate the work of elders and pastors based on worldly criteria. Visible results. This is a mistake that churches make, and it leads into many errors. Number of seats, number of butts in the seats, and number of coins in the coffer. Elders and pastors do good work if the church has a lot of people and is growing. And they must be doing bad work if the church is plateaued or declining. That's not how Christ is going to evaluate this. He's going to evaluate it based on 
the use of the materials he has provided. What are those materials? This is what we've been learning. What are those materials? What is the work? What are the tools God has given elders and pastors to work with you? It's not rhetorical this time. Scripture. Thank you, Shelley. It's a ministry of the word. Okay, preaching and teaching the word, bringing the word to bear in your lives individually. That's the main one. What's another tool? Prayer. Is that Keith? Prayer, absolutely. That's the main one, prayer. Okay, what else? Any others? Well, we've talked about individual shepherding of you, knowing you, being involved in your lives, knowing where your dangers are and having the wisdom to bring the right tool to the situation. Sometimes it just needs a gentle word of encouragement. Sometimes it needs a more stern word. Sometimes it needs real church discipline. That Those are the tools. Sometimes it's knowing who to connect you with in the church that will have a greater impact in your life. Sometimes it's bringing in somebody else from outside the church. This is the work. And it will be evaluated. And so this is one of the great motives here. It's a motive of reward, but it's also a motive. We live in this strange paradox as Christians. We should love Christ. He's going to reward you and fear him. He's going to judge us. And, and, and every father knows that the sweet spot with his kids is that they both love and fear him. <laughs> when, ch- when children love and fear their father, he's in the sweet spot. He's, he's, this is not a, a, a science, it's an art. I, children love you and yet they are afraid of you. This is Christ. We love him, but we tremble before him. We look to his lavish reward, his generous reward, and yet we're afraid. And please do not tell me that fearing God is just a healthy respect. They tremble before him. They fall as dead men before him. They lose sensibility because of fear before him. He's terrifying, and yet we love him. And yet, One of the most unexpected realities in these places in the Bible where Christ talks to his shepherds about his judgment of their works, he almost always connects it not to punishment but to reward. If if you're still in 1 Corinthians, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So we just read chapter 3 where it speaks of this in the second half of this judgment of Christ of the elders and pastors' work and um, evaluating if it's going to stand and and receive reward or not. But then in in chapter 4, look look what Paul says. Uh, This is verses uh, 1 to 5. This is how you should regard us. So this is one of the great things. Uh, Paul is teaching the church how to evaluate ministry. Paul is discipling the church on how to evaluate his ministry and pastors and elders' ministry. This is how you should regard us. This is how you should evaluate us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery of gospel. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. 
or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Isn't that terrifying? Paul said, I don't, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care if a human court evaluates. I don't even evaluate myself. It's the Lord who judges me. That's sobering. But look what he says next. It's totally unexpected. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord. And so you got to be careful to pass judgment on the pastor and elders' ministry. Sobering. Tread lightly there, brothers and sisters. Tread lightly there. The Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. So the Lord is going to come and judge the elders and pastors' ministry. Then look what he says. This last line is completely unexpected. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. <laughs> I do not expect the word con- commendation. You know what, what word I expect there? Condemnation. Is that, that, that's how little my faith is before God. Because I, I think him harsh. I think him like the parable of the workers who come that at the end of the day he gives all the same to everybody and I'm ticked because I should have gotten more. Christ will come. He'll bring to light the prayers in the closet for the saints, the tears that were shed, the visits that nobody knows about, the midnight phone calls, the struggling with what to do with the brother or sister in sin, with our own failings and temptations, and all of those that you don't have any idea about, and you judge so harshly the ministry of your pastors and elders, because you know better, and they, you know how to do it better, and Christ will come, and you're sitting there thinking, now we'll see. And there is Jesus commending. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? We see the same thing in First Peter chapter 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a stern rebuke for your pathetic shepherding. That's what I expected to say. That's often the kind of dad I am. Right? I come in, my kids have done a job, and it's not good enough. You should have done that better. Jesus comes in, and here's an unfading crown of glory. His kind of love for us is incredible, brothers and sisters. What is this reward? What is this unfading crown of glory? First, again, please, as God's people... Remember that the kind of reward he gives us is incredibly beyond the work that we do. In Matthew 25, he says that even a cold cup of water will by no means lose its reward. In Mark 10, we will receive a hundred times in the age to come what we've given in this world, what we've sacrificed in this world. He is generous in rewarding. And that general truth is applied here specifically to the elders. So there's a connection between the kind of shepherding he calls us to in verses 2 and 3 and the unfading crown of glory. 
So we are to be motivated by reward. Now, our highest motive as a believer is always that Jesus will be glorified, right? We want nothing more than his glory. And we are motivated as believers for each other just out of love for each other. We have a genuine concern for each other. And elders should have a genuine concern for you, and that should be a motive. But we are also to be motivated by Scripture or by reward. And so sometimes we can be too spiritual for the Bible. He can be more holy than Jesus, who for the joy set before him, for the reward set before him, endured the cross. We are to be motivated by reward. Now, our rewards from God are all grace. In the Heidelberg Catechism, it says all of our good work is due to grace. We are all too aware of our failures and sin. And yet it says this, and yet his reward is incomparably greater than what our meager deeds deserve. The Christian's labor here bears no proportion at all to his reward hereafter. And therefore, the apostle says that it is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Our labor is finite. The reward is infinite. The Christian's reward is infinite in its duration. Our work is for a few hours in the field, and then we get eternal rest in the Father's house. That's William Gurnall. You get that? Our, your work, our work is finite and the reward is infinite. <laughs> what is the unfading count of glory? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have the distinction, unlike Dennis, who's proud to be the humblest elder, I'm humbled to be the proudest elder. But on this one, I'm humbled. I don't know what the unfading crown of glory is. I know this, it's unfading. This term, unfading crown, has to do with the laurel things out of flowers placed upon the athlete's head who won the race. It was what the Olympian received for being faster or stronger than the other athletes. It was the only thing he got. And to wear it was significant, but it faded it went away. It, it, it diminished. And so Peter is playing on that well-known reality, and yet, unlike it, the reward given to faithful elders and pastors will never fade. It will never wither. It will not be forgotten. And then it's, a crown of glory. Glory is something seen, beheld, it's obvious, it's beautiful. So this is the reward given to elders and pastors. Unending, unfading, undiminishing, not withering, and gloriously beautiful, seen, acknowledged. And so don't forget, dear brothers, that Christ sees the work you do. The prayers, the heartaches, the tears, the time. And he rewards the unseen. Many times in this day, your work for other people goes unthanked. Sometimes is vilified. But Christ is not like this world. He's a far better master. It will be a full reward. Much in this world goes unpraised, unthanked, unrewarded. But Christ, 
keeps an exact account of all of your work. John Flavel says he keeps an exact account of all your fervent prayers, all of your instructive and persuasive sermons and teachings, all of your sighs, groans, and paintings. They're placed like marginal notes against your labels in his book to, in order to a full reward. Again, this is specifically for elders, but it's true of all of us. And so it's lasting. Heaven is forever. Our calling here is to so care for his sheep. that as many as possible are welcomed into the Father's reward. It goes as well as possible for each of them so that we get a reward. That's our work. Let's pray. Father, help us. Um, help us in this work. Give us faith to look to this reward. Help us to build with the materials that you have provided by faith in it for the long haul. Uh, looking to the reward. We praise you that you are this kind of God. Give us faith to look to this reward. And so, God, help us to continue to increase in our shepherding ability and care for your people. Um, help us endure in it. And, and knowing that you are a God who keeps track of it all uh, in order to reward. And so, God, uh, please help us in this. And help those, even now, in our church who are doing good work and struggling because of the thanklessness of it, the secrecy of it, the harsh return they're getting for it. Help them to evaluate correctly the work they're doing, to see objectively the ways that they are succeeding and not, to give you glory, and then to continue on and help us, help us as a church to, when we're tempted to stop, when we've fallen down again, when we've messed it up again, to just get up and do it again. Give us that kind of a faith, oh God, to never despair that, that we would quit. To, to realize that that's the only real failure. That's the only real pathetic weakness is to quit. It's not to fail. It's just to not to keep going. And so God, give us the faith to keep going. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.